Hello friends, good morning. Welcome to worship with us this morning. If you're a guest with us today, we are so glad that you're here. You're in the right place and I believe that God's going to bless us today. I hope that God has already done that. Uh, We're in the second week of our series, Jesus of Nazareth CPA. Well, let's jump in to the word today. Uh, Jesus of Nazareth CPA. As we discovered last week, and, and if you weren't here last week, go, go online or grab a CD and listen to it because this series kind of builds on some of the principles. Uh, as we discovered last week, uh, there is a new CPA who has moved into town. He's open for business. He's taking new clients. And that is good news for us because a lot of us are struggling financially. I don't just mean we don't have enough money, although many of us have that problem. What I mean beyond that is the money we have, we're struggling to use it well and wisely. Uh, Stress over money is destroying marriages all around us. Stress over money is hijacking futures all around us. Stress over money is terrorizing people as they head into what should be their golden years because they're worried about how to... uh, So many of us are burdened with financial stress and struggle, and so it's a good thing that a new CPA has moved into town. It says, "Come visit me, and we're gonna we're gonna straighten out. We're gonna redirect your finances." And session one, session one, we learned some pretty important things. Uh, our, our main text from session one was this one right here. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your harvest of righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. So what we learned in session one was a few things. We learned, number one, that God owns everything. If you're still confused on that, go back and listen to the CD because remember as we said, there is no stuff that ever was stuff that isn't God's stuff. All the stuff is God's stuff. Uh, We we learned that you are the steward of God's wealth. The money in the bank account that has your name on it, the money in the 401k that has your name on it, the paycheck that has your name on it, it's all still God's. God has just put you in charge of managing it. And because God owns all things and because you are God's steward, the third thing we learned last week was that God will provide for your needs. So so based on this, God owns everything. You are God's steward. God will provide for your needs. The message of your second session with the CPA is actually quite, quite simple. Today's message is super simple. It's just this. Good stewards are strategic. Good stewards are strategic. Good stewards have a strategy for managing the money of their master. And the strategy should reflect the priorities of God. Jesus actually says this should be true in every area of our discipleship. Uh, He he tells that parable. He says, listen, imagine you wanted to build a tower. Wouldn't you first sit down and figure out how much it's going to cost and see if you can afford it? He says discipleship is like that. You've got to have a strategy for discipleship. Following Jesus doesn't happen by accident. Just like exercise and relationships and dieting, everything else in our life that matters, we we know this. In every arena of our life, we know that if we want to excel, we need 
a strategy. I mean, this is why we have these little cards, right? I'm just convinced if you want to be evangelistic this Christmas season, you need a strategy to do it. You need to decide. We're going to invite these people over and invite these people to church, and here's our plan. And if you're just waiting, I mean, spontaneous evangelism is great. I love spontaneous evangelism. Praise God for it. But strategic evangelism exceeds spontaneous evangelism every time. And this is true in all aspects of our discipleship. And it's especially true if we're trying to be stewards of God's money. If you want to be a steward of God's money, you're going to need a strategy. I, I hardly know anybody who makes their best financial decisions spontaneously, not strategically. In fact, most of us who are making financial decisions spontaneously are making bad financial decisions, right? I mean, think about, think about if you have a spontaneous approach to your spending, you will regret what you spent your money on, right? This is how Target stays in business. I mean, all of us, right? You show up to Target to buy two things. You leave having spent $300 on two buggies worth of stuff. And they depend on that as their business model. If we all strategically shopped at Target, they'd go out of business. But because they know we spontaneously shop, they do just fine. I mean, this is true. Um, in marriage, if, if, you're, if your spending method is just to spend spontaneously in your marriage, then really what you're doing is spontaneously fighting. I mean, that's what you're doing, right? If every spending you've got is just a spontaneous decision, then it's a spontaneous fight is what it is uh, because it always, every, every little thing. Instead, and come, we all know it when it comes to spending, if you want to spend wisely, you spend strategically. There's a name for a spending strategy. A spending strategy is just called a budget. That's all a budget is. It's where you, in advance, create a strategy for how you want to spend your money so that at the end of the month, your spending reflects your priorities. That's the thing that a strategy does. A strategy allows your spending to reflect your values. If, if you have a spontaneous approach to spending, then your spending will reflect your circumstance. You know, I, I feel a little down today. I'm going to spend $6 on a cup of coffee because that will perk me up and make me feel better. Or I, I, you know, and, and your spending will reflect your circumstance, but if you have a strategy, then your spending will reflect your values. Saving is the same way. I don't know anybody who saves spontaneously. That just doesn't happen. If you save money, you save strategically, or you don't save at all. I remember one time when my wife and I were just kind of getting our, getting our going financially and trying to figure out what we were going to do for different things. We were talking with a guy in our church who was a CPA, and we were looking at all these different investment options, and it was just so confusing. And I said, what, which, how, what, which of these saving strategies is the best? And he said, well, in a second, I'll talk about that. He says, but really, which saving strategy you pick doesn't matter. As long as you pick a saving strategy. As long as you have some systematic way to put a chunk of your money in a place, you won't spend it, and it's secure. I mean, the difference between these different vehicles is, is really pretty minimal. And, and we've seen that to be true. And... and, and Here's the interesting thing. 
I think most of us, even if we don't do always live with a budget, and even if we don't always have a saving strategy, we know that if we want to spend our money wisely, we spend it strategically. If we want to save money wisely, we need to save strategically. But it's interesting. Many of us don't apply this same principle with our generosity. In fact, I know some people that think that spontaneous generosity is somehow better than strategic generosity. Uh, I'll, I'll be honest, uh, in my family, our personal approach to generosity is just the most boring thing ever. We hardly ever think of it. It's like a direct withdrawal from our bank account. The paycheck arrives, the money's gone. We never even notice. Sometimes they even forget. Like we have to, well, did we give? Oh yeah, okay, right, what happened automatically. And, and sometimes people will say, but there's no emotion to that. There's no feeling to that. And, 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 I, and I write, there, there isn't much, I guess. But it's interesting, the Bible, while it rewards and celebrates spontaneous generosity, what it teaches is strategic generosity. What it teaches is having the same approach to generosity that we do to spending and to savings. The, the, The recognition that if you want to make a difference in your spending, you need a strategy. If you want to make a difference in your saving, you need a strategy. And the Bible just teaches if you want to make a difference in your generosity, you need a strategy. In the Old Testament, um, there were two essential principles that defined the generosity of God's people. We could look at dozens of texts, but I just want to summarize them because I want to move on to the New Testament. But the, 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 the principles that defined the generosity of God's people were two real simple principles. The first was the principle of the tithe. Uh, the tithe is just a fancy word for 10%. And throughout the Old Testament, you'll see this, this rhythm of God's people giving the first 10% of what they made back to God. Now, those of you who have studied this, you know it was actually more complicated than that. They had a regular tithe and then an extra tithe. And then some special years, they had bonus offerings. So it was a complicated system. But uh, the level of principle, the principle was pretty simple. It was a principle of proportional giving. Not everybody gave the same amount. It wasn't like dues for a club where everybody pays $100. No, it was percentage giving. It was a, the base was a tithe as, and just as a recognition that everything was God's. And so a tenth just went right back to God's work. That was the first principle, the principle of the tithe. The second principle that's consistent from the very beginning to the very end of God's word was the principle of the first fruits. You can find this throughout the Old Testament. The the law of God's people was simple. Generosity came first. When you harvested a crop, the first tenth of the harvest went to God. If you made a little money on a business deal, the first tenth of your income went to God. If you sold a piece of property, the first tenth of the proceeds went to God. This principle of the first fruits is baked into every corner of the Old Testament teaching on generosity. The principle of the tithe, proportional giving, the principle of first fruits, generosity comes first. 
And all over God's word, obedience to this rhythm of generosity based on the principles of the tithes and the first fruits is tied to the expectation of God's provision. Uh, Proverbs 3, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops, then your barns will be filled to overflowing, your vats will brim over with new wine. And, and, and the Old Testament is so, is so consistent in this that there is a, there's a reflexive rhythm between our generosity and God's provision. Now, in the New Testament, uh, two interesting things happens. Uh, first of all, remember, we are New Testament people. We are no longer under the law, okay? Uh, the law has been fulfilled in Jesus Christ, and so we are no longer bound by it. So if you were to ask me, Ethan, does the law require that I tithe? Does the Bible require that I tithe? Well, no, because you don't live under the law. You are saved by Christ. You are redeemed by his blood. Your obedience to the law is not a condition for your salvation or your membership in God's family. However, although the law is fulfilled in Jesus Christ, these two principles, the principle of proportional giving and the principle of first fruits, first fruits, generosity first, are echoed completely consistently throughout the New Testament. Uh, Paul writes to the Corinthian church in, Corinthian, in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, Now about the collection for the Lord's people, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Notice how both these principles are continued in this teaching. First of all, it's on the first day of the week. Before you do all your shopping, before you spend all your money, before you set your budget, the first thing you do is set aside what you intend to give to the work of God's church. And then the second thing, notice the call to proportional giving. Each of you set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income. Christian generosity, like I said, it's not dues, it's not a membership fee, it's some sort of required payment. It's a response to the wealth God has put in our hands. If it's all God's and our use of it should reflect God's priorities, then our first fruit offering is in proportion to what God has placed into our hands. Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your hearts to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things and at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Paul suggests that our decision to give is a decision to participate in the process of God's provision. Our decision to give is a decision to enter into the trusting of God to abundantly provide so that we can abound in good works. These two ideas, generosity first and proportional giving, are the cornerstone. They're the foundation piece for living as a steward of God's money. 
If, you know, if you want ideas about budgeting, there are a thousand places to get those. If you want to know how to save effectively, go to this uh, financial class that Tommy and Kay Greer are leading. I'll tell you about it in a second. But the foundation for all that, the foundation for how we spend our money and the foundation for how we save our money is our commitment to how we give our money. Generosity first and proportional giving. I would just say, if you've never tried it, I really think for some of you, the most important next step of discipleship you might take is to try to organize your finances in this way. Making a decision to generosity first and proportional giving to strategically and systematically set yourself up to live with God's priorities first in the management of God's finances that He's given to you. I know, I know right now some of you are worried. This is me coming after your money, and, and, and I get that, but I just tell you, uh, that's not why I'm doing this. The reason I want you to obey God in this way, the reason I want you to put generosity first and to discipline yourself to proportional giving is not because I'm after your money. It's because I am after your blessing. God's Word is so clear on this, and I don't always know how it works, but I've just seen it happen so many times. Here's what, here's what Paul writes to Timothy. Timothy was a young preacher, and Paul gives him lots of advice about what he should preach about. And at the very end, he says this, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant or to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. I just got to pause there for a second. Did you see how Paul here is reminding us of the basic principle from last week? God owns everything. Everything is God's. And, and the way you transition, the, the way you protect yourself from the risk of wealth, the risk of wealth is that you will trust in your money rather than to trust in God. Paul says the way you protect yourself is to recognize that the wealth you have comes from God and to let it reorient. Command those, don't put your hope in wealth, but to put your hope in God. Verse 18, command them to do good to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. The reason I challenge you to put generosity first, to practice proportional giving, to become a manager of God's finances according to God's priorities. The reason I challenge you is not for your money, but for your blessing. And I just want you to know, you know last week we started talking about this, and after service, uh, one of the members here of the congregation came up to me and said, um, Ethan, uh, you know, you started this finance series. Can, can we talk sometime this week? And, you know, I, you, know you never know what that's going to be. You know, are they upset or happy or whatever? They like what you said or, you know, whatever. but I, of course, said, yes, yeah, I'm always available to talk. I'll meet with anybody. Yeah, sure. Uh, so we, we, we worked out a time uh, to meet. And I, I sat down with her and she said, I, I just want to tell you my story. I just want to tell you my story. And there were a lot of details and I'll skip most of them. But, but the, the outlines of the story were this. She said, we got married in college. So, of course, we didn't have any money. And we talked about it, but right there at the beginning, we made a decision 
that any little bit of money we ever got our hands on, anything that God ever put in our hands, any money that came our way, we were just, just the first thing we did with it was we were going to tithe it to the church. And then if we wanted to be generous in other ways, you know, mission trips or whatever, we'd do that. But, the, but any little money that came our way, we were going to tithe it to the church. She said that decision was one of the most important we made. You see, what they did was they didn't put a ceiling on their generosity. They put a floor on it. They said, we're never going to let our generosity go below this. This is for us where it starts. We're going to be generous first. We're going to give proportionately so that God knows that whatever God puts in our hands, if God were to bless us more and we ever had more money than this, we would give more than this. We're going to put this as a floor. She went on to tell me, she said she was just amazed. Now, years later, she's got even a few more years on her than I do. She said years later, she's just amazed how God blessed her and her husband and their children and their grandchildren. She had her miracle stories too. Everybody, everybody I know who tithes has a couple miracle stories of a time when they just couldn't figure out and the choice was tough. Do we give what we promised? Do we keep our commitment? And they did, and God provided just like that. Everybody I know who's committed to tithing has one of these stories, and she had some of hers. She said, and this is when I wish I had a video camera. I'd be playing it for you right now. She said, I just wish there was some way to let everyone know how much peace it brings to put God first like this. Something about the rhythm of generosity first and proportional giving reminds us that God is the one who provides. And if God wants you to be rich, he'll make you rich. Why would God make you rich? Well, the Bible's very clear. God might make you rich, but the only reason God would make you rich is so that you can be generous. That's so the Bible says that over and over again. I'll just tell you, that story she told, it was just a little, little quick story. We talked probably 20, 30 minutes, not long. I've heard that story a thousand times over. Of people, some who made a lot of money and some who made a little money, who just made a decision somewhere along the way that they were going to be generous first. They were going to give to God what was God's. They were going to use God's money in God's way. They were going to put a floor on their generosity. Most of us start with tithing. That's what my wife and I have done. Some people ask me, Ethan, why do you tithe if you're free under the law? Why that? I, I don't know. I mean, I don't, you don't have to. It's not like my salvation depends on it. But, but I, fig- I guess I figure it this way. If, if the people in the Old Testament who did not know about Jesus Christ who did not know their sins were covered, who did not know about the reliable salvation of God, if they could make tithing a floor on their generosity, how can I do less, I guess? If they felt like that was a way to say thank you to God, how could I come up with some different number as my starting place? For some of you, of course, when you talk about proportional giving, as the way Paul teaches, you might want to give way more than tithe. You know? I knew a fellow that Somewhere in his 40s or 50s, he got into a new line of work and started making more and more and more and more and more money. And he was always tithing, but he said, you know, even tithing, 
I just, I have so much money. So he and his wife, they just decided they were going to start, every year they were going to add 2% to their first fruits offering. By the time I met him, they were up to 30%. He still lived pretty well. God had really blessed him with the ability to make money, but he just made sure that as God blessed him with the ability to make more money, he was going to give more money. He just thought that made sense. Uh, in my family, we're super strategic about our tithing. We don't fret about it. The very first check that we make after we get a paycheck is our tithe check. And the nice thing about that, I will just say strategically, again, we're talking about strategy today, if the first thing you do when you are paid is cut your tithe check, you hardly ever miss it after a while. You just start living on that smaller amount. You don't even notice. But you've got a floor on your generosity. Best thing I like about it, personally, is it reminds me that all my stuff is God's. My house is God's, my car is God's, and if God needs it, God gets it. A good steward has a strategy. I'm going to wrap up like we did last week. I just want to be super practical here just for a second. Super practical. A couple things that might help you. If you're starting out financially, or maybe you need to restart things financially, I would just suggest to you, I think you ought to try tithing. I know so many people for whom that has been one of the essential faithful ways that they prioritize God in their life. If you're worried for one second that I'm just saying that so you'll give more to the church, I do think people ought to support their local church, but if you think for one second that's why I'm saying it, you give to some other church, okay? I mean it. If you think for a second the reason I'm saying that is because we need money, I'm not. I'm saying it because you need obedience. It will change your relationship with God if you just start first thing. You give 10% to God. And if you think I'm saying it because it's about this church, you give to some church down the road, God bless them. What I want is your blessing, not your money. Some of you need to try that. If, if you're first setting up a budget, uh, you, could just, uh, you could do this. Uh, maybe you've heard this, the 10-10-80 plan. For every, every dime that ever crosses your path, you give 10% of it to God, the local church. 10% of it you save. And then you just set all of your budget on the, whatever's left. You buy the right size house and the right size apartment and the right size car so you can live on the 80% that's left over. And of course, your whole life you're living according to God's priorities. We talk about that. It's not that God doesn't own the 80%. He owns the 80%. But that's what you're going to budget off of. 10, 10, 80. Nice and simple. And here's the thing. If you do that from day one, you'll never feel like you're having to you know, change your lifestyle to do that. That might really help some of you. Maybe you need to adjust your life to that. Downsize your house a little bit so you can get into that. I heard somebody once say they were going to downsize their house so they could right-size their generosity. That made a lot of sense to me. Maybe that's some of you need to do that. Last thing I'll say is this. We talked about this last week. We do have this class coming up. Uh, starts this Sunday at 11 a.m. and 6.20. If you need some strategic help, Many of us, the reason we cannot take a, a move of obedience to God to put our generosity first and practice proportional giving, the reason we can't make that move is because we are just out of control in our finances. If that's you, 11 o'clock today, 6.20 this evening, room 104B, that's somewhere down the hall, you'll find it. You show up, Tommy and Kay Greer will be there. We've got a great class to help you get control of this so you can begin to live as a steward of God's wealth. Here's the 
good news I, I want you to know. You will be enriched in every way. Why would God do such a thing? So that you can be generous on every occasion. And that generosity will overflow in thanksgiving to God. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you so much for all the ways you are good to us. We thank you, God, for all the ways that you provide for us. And now, God, we just ask that you would teach us to be strategic stewards of your wealth, strategic with our spending, strategic with our savings, but first of all, strategic with our generosity, trusting you to provide what we need so that we can be generous on every occasion. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.